building a religion. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are building a religion, a limited edition. We are now accepting callers for these pendant keychains. The resistance is useless. This is the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach. Have two more interviews for you from Canada on Rails today. It's Robbie Russell and Jeremy Voris of Planet Argon. But first, I'm going to be doing two more Carson Workshops events. Get started with Ruby on Rails. New York City, May 25th. San Francisco, June 8th. Go to carsonworkshops.com for all the details. So this is the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach sitting here in Vancouver, Canada at Canada on Rails with Robbie, Russell, and Jeremy Voorhees. They each have their own blogs, uh, jvorhees.com and robbieonrails.com, and they both work for Planet Argon down in beautiful Portland, Oregon. So Planet Argon has grown quite a bit in the last year, and Jeremy's part of that. Mm-hmm. How much has that been uh, from Rails type of work that you're getting, or do you think that's just the economy doing a lot better in general? I think it has a, a lot to do with Rails. Um, I'd say a huge, substantial um, portion of our growth is because of Rails. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of companies out there really interested in Rails, and they're looking for solutions. So we're trying to accommodate that that need. Well, as a hosting company, obviously you do consulting, you do training, but you do hosting as well. Rails, at least, <laughs> seems to be kind of hard for people to deploy, harder than just copying a PHP file to the server or something like that. Do you feel like you get a lot of disproportionate number of support requests, people trying to install <laughs> Rails, or is there a lot of support and people go to the community first? We, we actually, um, I think because of that whole, and there's a weird connection between Rails, a lot of new people to Rails will look at Rails is very similar to PHP when it's a lot more like, say, running a Java app and you need to run, like, Tomcat or something. Okay. And I, there's actually, we end up training our, a lot of our hosting customers, the difference there. You can't just, you know, switch your environment mid, when it's running without having to have some type of reload of the app. Otherwise, unless you're running in CGI mode and that's not very efficient, so why is my app slow? So there's a lot of interesting... But as far as, like, how it relates to, say, the average PHP... Um, we, most of our clients now, our hosting customers now, are Rails. Wow. So, so that's that, that's been a, another big aspect of our hosting has changed dramatically. So we try to engineer our server structure around the needs of Rails. So we're trying to accommodate that. And as far as going to the community first, they will do that, or they'll look for documentation. And we just finally actually set up a wiki for our customers. Yeah, just last week or something yeah, like so, that. So then they've been pretty receptive to that, and they've been contributing. So it's great. So... Very Web 2.0, helping the community help itself and getting that information out there for everybody to see. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have any tips for deploying Rails? Obviously, there are tons of different situations. Uh, I know you guys have put together some instructions so people can use Capistrano mm-hmm. to deploy their Rails app easily. What other kinds of things do you suggest? One of the things that I, I would highly suggest is if you're coming from like a Windows background and you're you know you're developing with Windows... Get a Linux machine or something and practice that de- deploying method and learn how to run your app within a Linux environment. If you're not comfortable with Linux and we all of our servers are based on Linux, then you're going to have a lot of headaches just trying to figure out the, the difference in the 
operating system itself. So we have a lot of Windows customers that are coming to us, and they don't even know how to use SSH. So we have to train them that process, and then I can't just copy my app. I actually might have to SSH in. What is that? And you know, trying to show them those. There's no really good solution to you know accommodating Windows users yet in a Linux environment. So that's 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 one advice I would have for a lot of things that we've encountered. Some additional advice that I would have is um, document your deployment process, whether you're using Capistrano or whether you have your own scripts or whether you just upload things and run commands. Um, one issue that was recurring during one of our development projects was dependency management for our magic. Um, getting um, either graphics magic or image magic compiled is one thing. It requires a lot of dependencies and that can be difficult enough in and of itself, but then we also required um, a color management library, which is typically not compiled with uh, either of the magic libraries, and that came to uh, the hotness a couple of times. Even with our own hosting environment, because one okay. server might have certain libraries and the next mm-hmm. one might not. So. so regardless of what you're using, even if you're using Capistrano and you can deploy your app in one shot, um, still document your process because there's going to be additional variables that aren't managed by your deployment solution. There's a lot of our hosting customers that will ask us either on IRC, because we have an IRC channel on Freenode, um, colon, or pound Planet Argon. So there's a lot of people interacting there on a regular basis. Some of them I don't even know who they are. They just linger and help people. So, mm-hmm. um, But they, one of the things here is there's a lot of people that will try to deploy their app and they see Rails errors and not sh- sure why, but because they're using some library that we don't have installed in so. We have a lot of gem install requests, mm-hmm. but we're usually pretty accommodating or teach them how to use their vendor app or vendor directory in their app. So for yourselves, do you document that in like just a readme or do you somehow have, have that in your tests or maybe some kind of rape test that checks to see <laughs> if all those gems are installed? How do you do that? Yes. Um, actually, <laughs> well, actually, um, our other developer, Jason Watkins, he started writing um, a sort of another variation on unit tests to uh, check for dependencies. But as it turned out, um, still documentation beats that. It's still like uh, the first time you deploy your application on a new environment, you're going to want to verify all these variables manually. And um, there's still, it's there's not a single unified way to check for everything as far as I've discovered in my experience there's some things that come as gems, there's other things that come as binaries and shared objects, and still the uh, the key to it is going to be document, 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 and um, I believe we have our deployment documentation for the application I mentioned earlier living inside of our doc slash readme for app file. And as long as people know that's the, know to, to look for that, it's pretty obvious place and they can use that as a reference. Sure. Well, hopefully you're going to be using your generated documentation by running um, rake app doc, or we actually have our own variation that tosses in um, the uh, Rails API doc, the uh, plugin doc, and the, uh, the application doc all in one place. And then we're also using the, uh, the Ruby doc template that's used on the Rails site. So it's a little bit nicer to look at. But um, yeah, the readme for app file, if you're going to be using that generated documentation it'll be the first thing so it's really i think it's a lot like um there's nowhere in the framework for deployment documentation to live by default so it's kind of like using Basecamp, where it's going to work but you kind of have to define your own strategy for using it so that sounds that's a good uh, good suggestion well robbie mm-hmm. 
On your blog, you talk about many different features of Rails. I was looking at some of your initial posts back there. It's kind of quite a trip to look way far back into history of only you know a year, a year ago or <laughs> something like that. But people ask me, how do you find out about these new, not only new features of Rails, but existing ones that might be hidden in there? Maybe it's useful. Maybe it's going to do something that I'd mm-hmm. have to recreate otherwise. Uh, specific instance, people said, well, you know, the observe form JavaScript helper, if I didn't know that was there, how would I go find that? You've blogged about things like using symbols in conditions mm-hmm. in order to, to be able to simplify that. <laughs> that for a query. How do you find that kind of thing out? I actually found that when I was actually working on my book. I was looking in um, some documentation for, <coughs> I believe it was Ruby DVI, I believe. And okay. I saw some examples of using name placeholders, so I thought I'd give it a shot and act a record, and it worked. And I was like, oh. And I see people using the question mark all the time for a placeholder, and that isn't legible. I mean, that's not. it doesn't really follow the rails. Um, you know, the guidelines are trying to make it as readable as possible. So Rails is very expressive. Ruby is very expressive language, and if you're having all these question marks in this big old long condition, you know, throwing some name placeholders, and it just makes it look a lot cleaner, so... Some additional advice I would have. Um, one of the best software investments I've made this year would definitely be spending, I plonked down $25 for NetNewsWire. Yes. And um, I have that plugged into the Ruby on Rails track, and as new, these new things are added, they might be obscure and all that, and definitely new unreleased officially, but um, I can start using some of it or investigating it immediately. Yeah, pay attention to the um, dev.rubyonrails.com. Um, org slash timeline page and you can see a lot of useful information of what's being committed to Edge. Keep up on Edge and if you have the luxury of keeping up on Edge, at least when you're developing projects, it's, it's, we're always trying to keep as close as we can, but not too that's close. That's a good suggestion, too, of looking at the stuff that's, that Rails uses that are just other Ruby libraries mm-hmm. like DBR or whatever, or mm-hmm. maybe even T-mail for the yeah, exactly. mailing or something because Rails doesn't try to recreate that. It uses these libraries and mm-hmm. they have their own features. And one of the th- th- important things, if you do come across things like that to help contribute to the documentation, I've been actually, um, I've been trying, to, as I'm working on my book and finding holes in documentation, I'm trying to do my best to help add patches for just documentation. I might not be adding any, contributing any new code to Rails, but at least I'm trying to help document things like there's another situation I've seen a lot of people still using the dependent and has many mm. and belongs to and all that and they're still using true and that's kind of deprecated now and that's there's been some about, different symbols yeah. you're supposed to use instead mm. yeah there's nullify or and destroy. destroy and or you can I believe that's it yeah so okay those are and important things to keep up on and people yeah, that could get deprecated and disappear at some point I think out. they've done a great job of uh, marking things as deprecated but there isn't necessarily a way to just sort by deprecated methods or anything like that mm-hmm. it's just all kind of thrown in um, but yeah and then I intend to be doing some documentation improvements as well this year as um, I just signed a contract for Rails in a Nutshell with O'Reilly alright so um, be compiling a lot of great documentation about Rails or related to Rails in one place it's great to see all these books coming out. I hope they update some of the other ones, too. I bought Ruby in a Nutshell, uh, written by Matt's, I believe, but it's mm. from 1.6 or something like that. It, it doesn't even have Inject or... Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully they'll update some of those, too. Well, Jeremy, you was... Speaking of which, you're planning a site, among other things, you mentioned a while ago about refactoring rails and maybe a book or something 
else. Just tell us generally, what is refactoring? How is that different when you're working with Rails? There's a quote by Martin Fowler that says that um, software is written primarily for humans and secondary for machines, paraphrasing. And um, the idea is that making your code more usable, um, more loosely coupled, actually makes it easier to maintain, more more of a joy to work with, and allows you to keep up with with oncoming uh, changes to your requirements. So it really, um, it's... Kind of like weeding your garden, um, or at least maintaining it on a regular basis. Yes. The, um, I mean, one of the um, things about refactoring is to remember that that's not a process where you add or remove functionality from your application. Exactly. Okay. Um, just cleaning it up. And I've never known any software project that hasn't, over time, accrued technical debt, and um, refactoring is kind of the way of eliminating that as you go. Do you have? A strategy, obviously, when you have other projects, you're trying to make money on other pro- projects or whatever. Maybe if there's a bug, then you go in there and you see that code. But if it's working great, then you know maybe I never look at it well, again. There's a directory that's uh, that the uh, Rails command will generate called test, and um, you should be spending about half your time inside of that directory. Is my opinion. And um, the other half in script console. <laughs> <laughs> but no, certainly. Um, <laughs> If you're not writing good tests, then you probably shouldn't be refactoring just yet. You should definitely have a test suite to make sure that you're not going backwards when you're um, refactoring. So, um, first of all, the, the test suite should be what you use to validate your application as you refactor it. And um, there's a great book written by Martin Fowler called Refactoring that describes... i read that. I would highly recommend it. It describes a lot of um, the mechanics of refactoring, and it's centered around the Java language. And one of the interesting concepts as well, to get back to your uh, when you should do it, is um, there's some heuristics for it. I don't think there's any hard and fast rules, but one that I've seen that I find works remarkably well is three strikes and you're out. So if you see code duplication three times, then that's when you should probably be performing an extract method refactoring. And pull it out so then that... Logic is only in one place instead of exactly. precisely, yeah. And with refactor, the refactoring book provides a lot of patterns for doing those type of things. So eliminating duplication, moving things around, while you know following up, you know, like a, like a recipe mm-hmm. to do that, so you don't miss anything in theory, and having tests to help. Well, the motivation for the uh, the refactoring Rails project, which has actually been, I mean, some of you might be wondering by now because <laughs> it's been a little while since the announcement. Um, Planet Argon development projects have just basically taken off a lot of my time, um, a lot more demand than I could have possibly anticipated when I moved to Portland back in November. But um, the idea is to document the differences, um, the sorts of refactorings that might that that the uh, that can just basically can't be documented for the Java language. Um, there's, Ruby's a very dynamic language and allows you to do a lot of things that you can't do in less flexible languages. So um, documenting a set of patterns for refactoring an application that is specific to Ruby and Rails. The kind of the approach, I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of speculation if we're writing a book on it, or mm-hmm. and that was one of the ideas we had thought about in the future, but a lot of it had to do with basically working on a site that would provide a lot of patterns for doing this and it's still something we'd like to do it's just a matter of well it's certainly something we intend to do but um well it's great to have ideas there's so many different projects that people could do and obviously you've 
got to keep the business going and whenever that happens or if you pass it on to someone else get a college intern in there and <laughs> yes help him document refactoring <laughs> Robbie the, you're uh, we all know if we visit your blog very much you like Postgres <laughs> and things have been said in conjunction with Rails that well hey let's just have all our business logic in Ruby let's use the database just as kind of a glorified file system hash and in the sky, I the hash in the sky okay <laughs> <laughs> but you said hey no foreign keys other things that the database can do are valuable uh just tell us about that why do you think that's important and how does that work together with rails well the, the one of the important distinctions i make about data is that i find it very valuable data is probably the most valuable aspect of your your application it's going to out ideally it's should outlive your application. And with any hope, you should build your application in a way, or your database in a way, that's going to allow that data to be, in 20 years, still be meaningful in some context. And that's why we have legacy systems that aren't going anywhere. Um, I mean, they're not, that data is not going to just disappear for no, I mean, that's what a lot of the companies, their, the lifeblood of their organization and their assets are in that data. So it's important to remember that. I mean, Rails might not... <coughs> has certain conventions and opinions that um, might not comply with that, but there are ways to make Rails work with that. And the reason I look at, I come from more of a DBA background in development with um, Postgres has been one of my favorite databases for several years now. And there's so many features in it, and I'm trying to pull myself away over the last year and so many months since I've been using Ruby on Rails. and trying to accommodate these Rails conventions within my way of thinking. And so it took me a long time to really start to really feel really comfortable with trusting my my code and somebody else's code to really protect data. Um, it's, I just find data very valuable. I don't want to sure. see it get messed up. And so as Active Record has matured a lot more in the last year, um, I'd say in the last six months, it's drastically improved its um, data dependency with um, other so it's not just a hash in the sky. Data just gets dumped in there and you pull it out. Um, well, Robbie came from more of a DBA background, but I come from more of an application development background. And um, He's showing me the light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not at all, not at all. There I are actually, hashes in the sky. <laughs> they're, that's, they're called S3. Oh, but, okay. Um, <laughs> anyhow, um, no, I see a lot of beauty, though, inside of the, uh, the relational data model. It's very well thought out. It's going to live for much longer and I mean I, I certainly can't challenge the uh, the wisdom of the men who designed it um, I personally I like to keep that business logic inside of my application mm -hmm. but um, honestly if you have the option of a uh, a second layer to, actu to actually reject um, anything that can slip through the application I don't see that as duplication I see that as um, just a pragmatic level of paranoia that will actually, um, I think in a conversation with Robbie and I once, um, <laughs> it came out as uh, Active Record is the squirrely guy at the door who checks your ID, but Postgres is the bouncer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, like with Postgres, it's, I mean, there are a lot of features in it, and you can take advantage of them, and it's not necessary that you have to. In MySQL, I mean, there's a lot of, in the Postgres community, MySQL is kind of a, it's not taken as seriously. It's it's been about speed, and now they're adding all these features, and MySQL is getting slower. So, um, 
this is a weird paradox, you know, saying the Postgres so said, hey, we were doing it all yeah, along. Yeah, we've been doing this, you know, they are the world's most advanced database server. And mm-hmm. um, maybe the next runner might be Firebird DB or something in the open source community. And so in MySQL has a lot of, um, they actually have a marketing department. They've done a great, great job with, you know, they have a dual licenses. A lot of people, a lot of, we've talked to a lot of clients that are looking to embed, you know, a database into their application and distribute that and sell it. But always bring up the, well, how are you going to handle that license cost? You have to pay MySQL to do that. You don't have to pay Postgres to do that. Or SQLite if you need embedded. So there's always those other options. And I think it's it's just great to have those options. And so, and the Postgres community, um, they focus a lot on data integrity. And I think that's a very important thing to consider when you're building an application. It should Mm -hmm. outlive your Rails application. Unless Rails sticks around for 15 or 20 years. But I'm hoping that something more even faster, better, you know, something 20 times faster is going to come along in the next five years. Because let's also one more word on the uh, on the matter of data integrity. Um, in our application that we're working on right now, we've definitely found a few places that just dealing with active record generated SQL is not going to cut it. We had a page that uh, I quickly sketched out and text made. I just typed some active record code and um, just went through the models completely and I ended up with a page that took roughly two minutes to load. It's not because um, <laughs> it's not because Active Record is doing anything wrong. It's just because there's a lot of data and it wasn't designed to exactly deal with this sort of problem. But we're using an object relational mapper over a SQL database and SQL is still well suited to the uh, dealing with the problem at hand. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be dealing with um, SQL that you write yourself too, then you don't get the uh, necessarily get the benefits of those validations. And another thing to remember um, is that even though we might uh, we might be use Postgres and we might be heavily relying on that to um, maintain our database integrity or data integrity, um, one of the great things about Rails is that it is pushing innovation. And you know, it's um, we were discussing with another developer down in Portland um, named Brian Ford, and he was talking about how exciting it is to be you know interested in the rails community because they're really pushing the boundaries you know why is a database structure the way that a database is designed say mysql or postgres or oracle why is that design the best way why why are developers like dhh really pushing for this more um i don't really know how to describe it but they're really why you know look at it like a hash in the sky let's make this a little bit more object oriented let's let's make this you know what can we push in certain ways, and I think I think I think what's going to end up happening in the next you know several five ten years or so is that traditional database um, structures are going to change over time, and they're going to be trying to find new ways. I think the the database community is going to at some point have to compromise and find new ways to innovate their end of the thing. That's why we have okay. So and I think so that'll be interesting. So I think developers are going to end up pushing um, the. The database structure decision. certainly is going to happen. Um, one of the interesting things that we've encountered is that it seems that there's um, political structures in existing development teams where the uh, the database is created by a DBA and he'll encompass a lot of logic inside of stored procedures and then he'll publish that to the developers or throw it over the wall or however you like to say it. Uh huh. And then um, by the way, there's a, there's a really great book that just came out. It's on the Martin Fowler signature book or signature series. It's called Refactoring Databases. Same thing. Okay. So it's patterns to refactor your database. 
but it doesn't really apply to Rails, but I just thought I'd throw that in. Mm-hmm. Well, also the concepts, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it certainly seems that the role of the DBA is being distributed amongst the development team. And Rails hey, seems to be the embodiment of that in some ways. Sure, like, I mean, a company I worked for five years ago, you know, the DBA had this whole system for deployment and keeping the databases synchronized and upgrading and stuff, you know, most of which is handled by Rails migrations. His job is being automated. Some of these different. And I was like, wow, that we, you know, he was selling it for $10,000 a copy or something like that. And (laughs) it's like, we have access to that now. It's one of the the things in that book, uh, they were talking about how to create CRUD methods or store procedures within your database. So um, I'm definitely moving away from that approach now, but it's just interesting how there's still a lot of people that have a lot of this still ingrained in their you know, corporation infrastructure. This is how it's this done. This is how it's yeah. done. And um, even there's a lot of developers that don't see the benefits of doing things the Rails way yet. So we've encountered that with a lot of our clients as well. So, Well, Portland has a very lively Ruby community. You guys work on projects together you have source code control server i think you even write your own website for the the user group you have lectures an active irc channel people are always in there uh having a good time and learning things so is there something special about portland or combination (laughs) of portland and ruby Uh, linus torvalds lives there now i guess but uh how do you grow a (laughs) ruby community in your city well, I mean, I, I mean, Ruby, the Ruby community that's in Portland existed before I got into Ruby, so and it was around for a few years, I believe, and it was a really small, tight-knit group. And when Rails came along, I think there was actually this little um, bit of a shuffle within the community. People were like, well, you know, don't let Rails dominate the Ruby community. <laughs> and um, one of the great things about the, the Portland area is that, I mean, we, first of all, Portland is um, the Silicon Forest, as we have the Silicon Valley. People, that's where... You know, there's a lot of open source, um, open source development labs in mm-hmm. just outside of Portland, so that's why Linus Torvalds lived there, and um, and I've been involved in Linux user groups and such for several years in Portland, and got involved in the Ruby user group, and they're just a very friendly bunch. And since we offer hostings, like, hey, we'll set you guys up, you know, give you guys a version, and then we start talking. I think um, one of the guys from Portland, Ben Blathing, he and I decided one day that we really wanted to automate the subversion. Um, hooks for commits to let us know an IRC channel that we had been talking in. So we decided, oh, how are we going to do this? We're going to have you know a way to maybe an IRC bot. So we got a you know we used our bot and then set up a little um, post commit hook. So we that was one of the f- few times I worked with um, other developers in Portland, Ruby developers in particular, and like Ben worked on the. I worked on the, the R bot script so that R bot basically threaded open up a thread for DRB. So he wrote a client basically that would, on the post commit, open up the other the client end of the DRB, connect to my DRB object, and spit a message to me, and then I would change the format and then spit it out the IRC channel. So we automated wow. this process, and um, then we it just took off from there. But so when we, the more we created these little um, interactive type processes, these little tiny pet projects, just, just to just to have fun during you know during the day and just kind of evolved but the um there's a lot of great people in portland uh, for example cd babies there and they're porting their whole mm-hmm. application to um ruby on rails and postgresql and jeremy camper lives there and mm-hmm. he used to hang on the rc channel a lot and i know that you hang out there quite a bit sometimes i do and you're not even in portland but that's how <laughs> that's how great portland community is i'm a wannabe 
<laughs> and want to be Portland. Not the only one, too. <laughs> I know there's other people. There's people like, I think... Um, Jacob Harris. Jacob Harris lives in New York, hangs out <laughs> in a Portland community channel. And <laughs> we might have to censor that. I don't know if he wants to be known as a New Yorker who wants to live in Portland. Well, his his joke is that the um, New York City Ruby Brigade and the Portland Ruby Brigade should join forces and then beat up all the... The Ruby Brigade's in the middle of the country, like in Chicago and Ohio. But <laughs> I tried to start one in Ohio, and it just kind of <laughs> didn't happen. But, uh, but, but yeah, um, and then there's also there's some other companies who are a little bit less known for Ruby, but they definitely employ um, a staggering number of Ruby developers oh, yeah. in relative terms. Um, one of them, the biggest I can think of offhand, is um, I have a friend and colleague and neighbor <laughs> who uh, works in the architecture division of Intel, and he uses Ruby for analytics on stats about uh, processors. Wow. That's crazy. So maybe we'll see a Ruby-optimized Intel processor coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Ruby inside. Well, uh, another pro- oh, another project, though, from uh, Portlandite is you can follow along in his blog. I know he's being picked up by Artema. I can't remember the URL, though, right now. But um, Phil Thompson is working on a project called RHDL, which is a Ruby hardware description language. So it's a, oh, yeah. a, a DSL for describing hardware specifications. Wow. So, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of talented people, and we have client, I mean, companies using Ruby there, and CD Baby being one of the biggest that I'm aware of, but... Um. But um, the, the thing that stands out the most for me, though, is just how progressive and laid-back and fun it is to be in Portland. Um, in Robbie's own words, I don't know if he recalls or not, but um, you, you put it this way, if uh, Seattle was the dot-com of the Pacific Northwest... No, no, then, no that uh, was Derek Sievers that said that. Oh. I probably re-edited it. Just to clarify. <laughs> okay, well... Especially in case Derek says okay. a good quote anyway. Well, that, that was Derek. <laughs> But um, if Seattle is the uh, the dot com of the Pacific Northwest, then Portland is the dot org. <laughs> Something. Or like that. Seattle's the Emerald City. Portland can be the Ruby City or something. There you go. There it is. <laughs> You've already you're the Rose. Uh, and we the Rose the, City or something. Yeah, we're, we're the Rose City, and you can also um, enjoy a, a pint of Ruby Ale if you so desire. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you get Ruby beer there, and um, OSCON is there, so O'Reilly has a big presence there every year. So a lot and of, FOSCON. Yeah. And FOSCON, which was a big hit last year. I was Ruby, there. So that was, it was We a had good great time. people like DHH and Y showed up and did an awesome presentation on stage. and that was, that was fun. So, Well, good stuff. We'll be doing the same thing this summer for coming out to OSCON, just letting you know. There should be a FOSCON again. Mm-hmm. And I believe Planet Argon's hoping to have a party on one of the nights, too. So come hang out. Sounds good. And what's it, your site? PDX.org? PDXRuby.org. PDXRuby.org. Okay. Well, it's been a long day, but Robbie, give us a little plug. Tell us about Programming Rails, book that you're writing. It's going <laughs> to be about coming out sooner or later. It's about 75% done right now. Nice. I know my editor wishes I was about 105% done. Um, Planet Argon is just, takes up a lot of my time right now. But, um, you need I'm, a ghostwriter. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about that. Maybe I'll outsource that. Um, but my then, book went to India. <laughs> my book. <laughs> but um, yeah, my book is basically going to describe a lot of the internals of Ruby on Rails, how to you know, you know, add things with, to Active Record, you know, and walk you through um, how to use how I program with Ruby on Rails. How to, you know, you'll find using Script Console way before you'll ever see Script Generate scaffolding. So okay, you, you learn to build your models by hand. You learn you learn that process. So there's not any magical things happening in the background. So that's kind of the approach I'm taking is just to understand how Rails works rather than 
figuring out all of those hidden fields that got, I mean, all those, those, all those generated files mean later. Basically um, providing a solid foundation to stand on and to actually understand the code that you're reading rather than um, being immediately dazzled. Yeah, exactly. You know, there, there's a lot of, there's enough webcasts out there, I mean, web, you know, videos that will show you how quickly you can build a blog but, and do script generate. But yeah, I, I want to show people how to actually, what, the, what, what is that generation doing? What is it actually generating? And learn that from the kind of the ground up. So that's my approach. Well, good stuff. Well, thanks a lot, guys. It's mm-hmm. been fun. Long day here at Canada on Rails. Mm-hmm. Whole another day tomorrow. <laughs> True. But uh, looking forward to all the good stuff you guys keep producing and books, websites, <laughs> music albums. Jeremy, you're going to try to. This is what. National uh, oh, Recorder Record um, Month Robbie as well. It's um, if oh, you'd like to you. go to narmo n a r m o dot org, um, <laughs> it is National Album Recording Month, and um, my friend Topher <laughs> will explain it all on the site. All right, um, sign up, record a thirty-one minute long album, and make a cover. Maybe we you. can get Y to do that. <laughs> well, oh, I think true. we're about thirty-one minutes right okay. here, so maybe I'll submit this, and this will be my album for the month. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, we did not rule spoken word. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, thanks, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime later. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the Ruby on Rails podcast. Intro music by Cake. Closing music by Why the Lucky Stiff and His Thirsty Cups. Equipment donated by Samson Audio. Chunky Bacon. Chunky Bacon. Chunky Bacon. Chunky Bacon.